Hello, you're listening to A Little Bit of Largum, a podcast exploring a more connected and human approach to climate conversations. A space for questioning, learning and discovering the many ways a sense of balance can come to be. My name is Marla and if you've been listening to this podcast for a little while, that introduction probably felt a little bit different. I'm constantly learning and I'm so grateful for the many people I've spoken to on this podcast who have really given me so much insight and a new form of perspective, I suppose. There are so many complexities and intersections that we really need to be aware of. And reflecting on the way I was framing the podcast, it didn't feel quite right anymore. And I'm not even sure if this is quite right either. But there's so much more to learn and to question and recognizing the interconnections is so crucial within these conversations. And just seeing how interconnected everything is in some ways can be very mind-boggling, but also incredibly exciting and hopeful in seeing how many problems could be solved through taking this more intersectional lens. And I think when reflecting on the introduction from before, it started to feel a little bit superficial to how I feel now in relation to climate conversations and the pursuit of climate justice. It's a constant progression of learning and... It's really baffling in some ways to see how much my thought processes have changed over this time. I still have very similar values in terms of what I care about, but the lens through which I'm seeing things is transforming the more and more I learn, and that just encourages me and hopefully encourages you to continue that learning as well. So before I keep rambling, and maybe at some point in the future I'll be able to explain better, but I'm not quite ready to do that yet. So I want to introduce Valentina Prada-Flores. Valentina is a literature student at the University of Los Andes in Colombia. She's interested in gender issues and human rights regarding the climate crisis, which she aspires to relate with her career once she graduates. Valentina is a part of Fridays for Future Bogota, Fridays for Future Colombia, her university's climate committee, and she's also co-founded Latinas for Climate. She's also currently coordinating the Escazú Agreement campaign for Fridays for Future Bogotá and starting her way through photojournalism. I'm really excited for you to hear more about these things, for example, the work that Latinas for Climate are doing and also what the Escazú Agreement is and what it means for Colombia. In this conversation, Valentina shares her path into climate activism including her involvement with many youth-led organisations, and how her studies in literature shape the perspective she offers into climate conversation. We discuss the importance of accessible information which can empower people to engage in climate action, which links to the incredible work Latinas for Climate is doing in creation of such resources. Valentina also talks about the creation of Latinas for Climate, the aims of the organisation and her work on campaigns surrounding the Escazú Agreement, along with what this agreement could come to mean. It was absolutely lovely speaking with Valentina and I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. But it's really lovely to meet you and thank you so much yeah, for like taking the time to come and chat with me. No, thank you for the invitation. I'm, I'm really happy to be here and so excited for our conversation. Oh, me too, me too. So first of all, it'd be wonderful if you could just give a little introduction to who you are and a bit about the work that you do. Okay, hi. <laughs> My name is Valentina Prada. I am a climate activist based in Colombia. Uh, my activism is most part like um, focused on gender and human rights. 
I am a literature student in Bogota. I'm currently on my seventh semester. And well, I've been working on climate activism more or less for a half, no, a year and a half ago. Mm, I started with Fridays for Future Bogota. Back in July 2020, I had the opportunity to co-found uh, a network organization sort of thing called Latinas for Climate alongside other climate activists from Latin America. Most of them are Chilean, but yeah, that's what I do. And I'm currently working for the ratification of the Escazú Agreement here in my country. Awesome. That's a great summary. You're doing such amazing things. And to hear you kind of only got into this space like a year and a half ago and you've done all of these incredible things already. Like that's super cool. So yeah. I wanted to also ask what it was for you that first made you aware of the climate crisis when and kind of how that happened. There might not be like a, a pinpoint moment, but just kind of that progression. I'm really interested to hear yeah, how you came into that realization. Well, I've always been like uh, drawn to nature, the environment and everything since I was little. Uh, also loved animals, like <laughs> since like I have memory. In fact, I think that my, like the way I got into the, the climate activism was because of veganism. I've been a vegan for like three years, more or less. And well, I started to understand that it was not just animals. <laughs> Uh, who were being killed, but also our our surroundings, the environment, and well, that made me really worried. So that's why I don't know. Like I decided to start doing something about it. I actually, well, I've always been interested since I was little, but with activism and like start doing something for real. I joined my university's like environmental group when I started. Uh, well, like I wasn't really into it, but then like I decided that I wanted to get more involved. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know how, but I ended up in Fridays for Future Bogota. Mm -hmm. And well, that's why when I started to understand everything that was going on really, and it, it was not just like trees or animals, but it was also humans who were being endangered uh, for, because of the climate crisis. And that's why I, I decided to become more and more involved. And well, here I am. <laughs> well, amazing. I connect so much with that in the sense of coming at it from like nature and veganism perspective. It was a very similar transition for me. And then I think sort of the questioning that comes up in that space, it then makes you question so much more. And I think then that compassion just sort of emanates out further and you understand these connections. So yeah, I think it's a really interesting yeah, exactly. one. <laughs> and I think that it's not just us. I think that there are many more people that have been drawn to the climate crisis because of animals, uh, which is sort of weird, but at the same time, I understand it's really, it's really cool. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about like your experience when you first got involved in climate activism, starting Fridays for Future. And what was that experience like as well? Ooh, I, I think that I was really scared when I started because, well, I'm, I'm really shy. Like, I, I don't know, like I'm not really open from the start. And I wanted to do lots of things, but um, I don't know, I didn't know how. And I remember that with Fridays for Future Bogota, I actually started to handle the Twitter account. I, I still handle it. And, and that's how I, I became more and more involved. Like one thing got me to another. I also worked for a while on Re-Earth, uh, like a little while. And that's where I met 
uh, my friends from Latinas for Climate. I don't know why it was on a group. And then I decided to get on a meeting <laughs> to talk about the Escazú Agreement and that. So actually, I think that what got me over here. Um, but yes, at, at the first, it was kind of difficult because of, yeah, I don't know, like, I was like, oh, okay, I don't want to join this meeting because it makes me anxious or something like that. But then, I don't know, like, I was like, okay, it may, may make me anxious, but still, I think I'm doing something uh, that's good for everyone and good for me at the same time. So that's why I really, like, I don't know, got more and more involved. I was yeah. really interesting interested on that and also because I, sometimes I think that my career doesn't do a lot for the world or isn't involved in what we I don't know like political changes which is weird since literature is really political so that's why I also try to join these spaces because I'm like okay there's no one from my area over there so I think that I can get there and give another perspective of how things work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also really relate to that in the sense I'm quite introverted as a person as well. I find like engaging in those spaces, but it can be like a a challenge or there's almost like a fear of like the anxiety and the personal feelings. But there's something that kind of happens with because it's a deeper connection than just like surface level conversation or engagement. It's like about these super important things. I think it kind of sometimes helps with that a little bit. I don't know if you found at all. Do you feel like it's helped build your confidence in some ways? Yeah, actually it has because I don't know, like I think that like the past year I've changed so much. I remember my first picture for Friday's Bogota and it was me with a a little poster uh, that I don't remember what it says, like defend the Amazon and its defender or something like that. And it covered my entire face. It was just like a poster. And right now I'm just like over there like, okay, uh, I'll try. Or I'll post something on my stories. Like, I think that I'm more confident to talk about these topics. And I don't know, like I can be in these spaces, you know, like talking with you, which is something I think that a year ago I wouldn't be able to do. Of course, I'm still like a little bit anxious of things or people I don't know. But anyways, it's like, Uh, completely different from how it was when I got started oh that's amazing to hear it's like as well as all of the amazing external things you've been helping to shift it's great that it's had some like real internal development for you as well it's really nice to hear yeah exactly I think that that's what what's really nice about well I don't know activism that you are doing things for the world but you are also like I don't know changing internally and that's great because sometimes we are like our vision of things is um, I don't know shadowed by privilege I don't know it's kind of awful so I think that it also opened my eyes which is something I really I'm really proud of myself Mm. (laughs) of yeah because it's almost like by by taking that leap of being in those spaces it, it allows you a lot to to take in and listen and like it's not always about I think the speaking I don't know about you but when I used to think of activism the first thing I would think about is the person with like the megaphone shouting and then I was like wow I don't know if I can be in that space you know I don't think I have those qualities but actually so much has been listening and learning and reflecting and and then trying to like organize and things rather than maybe just the and like the super shouting is so valuable but like it's not the only space and I think that that's really interesting Mm. yeah I really admire the people with the megaphone like with the boys I don't know like 
uh, I had the opportunity like a few weeks ago to to do that, and it was really exciting. But I think that the work that is also done, like behind that moment of the person with the megaphone, from I don't know, like the songs we are going to sing over there, um, or I don't know, the social media posting, so we can get people to go there. Like everything is valuable, and that's all activism. It's not just that right moment, but everything that comes behind that. I don't know, it's like uh, really hard logistics, I've realized, like from planning all these manifestations. So it's, I think it also opens your eyes in that way, uh, that you realize that activism goes further than that. Yeah, definitely. And it, it makes me think of what you were saying before as well about like studying literature and then maybe feeling like, oh, does it connect to like the work I'm doing? But actually the different skills you gain from whatever area you work in, you, like gives you something to contribute, I think, to to the space. Yeah, definitely. Like I think that um, I've also been able to, I don't know, like give another perspective that is not just like from political sciences or engineering uh, which is some uh, really present on, on the climate activism. Mm, I don't know. I think that I've also had the opportunity to uh, talk with my friends from like Fridays for Future and Latinas for Climate about what I do in my career, which is also in some way diversing, diversificating the movement. Yeah, diversifying. Yeah. Diversifying. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, in some way, like in views, giving that humanities perspective of things it's also really interesting and I've had classes uh, from literature in which I had the opportunity to talk about the environment which is also really nice and I think that everything gets connected and all areas have something to do or say about the climate crisis. Yeah I completely agree with that in so many ways and kind of following on from that as well I wanted to ask about what aspects of the climate crisis and climate conversations do you feel need to be had more? I think the humanity is definitely something that is needed more and I really relate to. But yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Oh, okay. So I think that, I don't know why I've always, uh, well, before I became an activist, I saw like the climate crisis just on, you know, like nature, animals, um, I don't know, trees and well, plants, whatever, like, you know, those National Geographic documentaries. But then, like, you realize how people are being affected by all of this. And it's not to say that animals aren't important or that trees aren't important because they are, but uh, it's like also a human rights violation. We have the right to live in a livable environment. So after discovering everything that has been going on and how people are affected by this and people who defend the environment are affected, um, by the climate crisis. Well, uh, I think that it is an important conversation that we need to get on the table, you know, understanding that uh, there are some people who have more advantages uh, to, I don't know, confront the climate crisis and there are people who don't. And that those people who don't sometimes don't have the voice to go and speak about their experiences. So I think that it's really important that they get that opportunity or that somehow we can get their perspectives to the conversation, you know, like to cops and important spaces of decision-making. Yeah, I think that's so, so important because 
unless it's your own lived experience, you can't truly speak on behalf of what is happening. And it's not what should be done. You should be hearing from the voices of people who are experiencing those things now. And yeah, that's such a crucial point. And when you were talking as well about the sort of human rights element related to the environment, I'm probably going to say this completely wrong, but the Escazu Agreement? Escazu. Escazu, yeah. Um, that's kind of what that focuses on, right? Is like bridging the environmental defense and human rights and connecting those two. Yeah, the Escazu Agreement is like the first regional agreement which focuses on environmental and human rights. And it's actually a really complete agreement because it also focuses like on access to information, justice and participation like of the public, you know, uh, citizens will have the opportunity to be part of decision making of environmental issues mm-hmm. and access to information, uh, for example, also focuses on how we get the information about what's going on with the environment. For example, if you want to know what happened, I'm going to leave a call. Uh, a, give a Colombian example, which is El Paramo de Santurban. Um, if you want to know what is going on there with fracking and well, all, the, all this extractivism and stuff, you can get that information and you can get it in a way that you can understand what is going on, not in a language, for example, like mm, law, you know, mm-hmm. that you don't understand anything or engineering language, but something that we understand. And even if you need another language to understand what it's going on, they can translate it for you. Mm-hmm. And well, justice also focuses on being able to solve all these problems and being able to do that because sometimes, uh, I don't know, lawyers or people in towns or territories here in Colombia or well, in Latin America don't know how to solve some environmental issues or when leaders are being um, threatened so the idea is to in some way teach them or give them the tools to solve all of those topics so it is really interesting uh well everything that this agreement has and well i don't know i get really excited when i talk about this because it's not that it's perfect but it comes like well for latin america in this time so I think I think it's so crucial, like the education and the the accessibility to that um, that education. It can empower people so much. As soon as they have that knowledge and the resources, it it adds so much empowerment for people to be able to make the changes that need to be made. Yeah, it sounds incredibly exciting. If that's something that, yeah, is pushed forward. Yeah, exactly. It's just that uh, even sometimes like information is so private. Only some people can get to that information or only like a small group of people can understand that information. So it's great that uh, it's focused on climate education, which was actually something I was uh, talking with a friend a few days ago, like how environmental education and the Escazú Agreement, because here in Bogota, well, uh, Bogota was actually the first city in Latin America to declare a climate emergency. And with that treaty comes also the importance of climate education. So those two would complement each other like a lot. Yeah, amazing. And I feel like you've kind of covered the next question I was hoping to ask, but I think I want to ask it anyway in case you have anything you'd like to add because I'm Mm -hmm. sure there's many things in this area. But I was going to ask with regards to kind of the main things within society that you would really love to see changed. Okay, like first of all, yeah, environmental education. I think that the climate crisis like can be 
are treated from many areas. Well, as I've already said, with literature, for example. Um, so I think that it is important that we get it to, I don't know, whatever we, we can. Uh, schools, universities, uh, I know that there are many like universities in Europe, uh, like making, I don't know, some sort of programs uh, for universities to adopt uh, the treat like the, the climate crisis topic. So that's why I think that it is really important. Education is the first thing, the most important because if we are not educated about, about what's going on, we can't get conscious and we cannot act for, for climate. Because it's also what happens sometimes that uh, just a few people know about it and well, everyone else says like, okay, but you can talk about it because you're not a climate expert. Mm -hmm. So I think that, I don't know, like having those tools will make you like say, hey, I can't talk about this. So you cannot tell me what not to do. Uh, so it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, like climate education, first of all. Uh, well, I don't know, like, yeah, yeah, climate education is <laughs> the most important. Amazing. And I feel like that's something that's really at the root of what you're doing at Latinas for Climate is providing really accessible information um, and also providing it in Spanish as well. I noticed that you have like both languages, which is really awesome, too. Um, so I'd love to hear yeah, more about how Latinas for Climate came into being and the key kind of values you hold and what you're hoping to achieve. Ooh, OK, so we started back on August, uh, August like 12, 13, 2020, of course, we had been meeting a month before uh, it all started because of an Escazú campaign uh, we wanted to plan. And I got involved there. Um, we started to meet like at 10 p.m. <laughs> uh, my time because I also I have ch a Chilean friends. It was actually like midnight for them, which is really weird. But we started talking about what we wanted to do with Escazú. But we also realized that we wanted to go further than that, that we wanted to create something, uh, have like our own place to talk about topics that involved Latinas and, I don't know, like climate action, gender, everything. So that's how Latinas for Climate was born. Uh, it actually took us a lot to <laughs> decide a name. We came back out with Latinas for Climate like one night discussing what we wanted to call ourselves and well from that like we started with a webinar on the women and the uh where of course all of the panelists were women uh speaking about the importance of the Escazú agreement and after that we decided that we wanted to post on these topics that i've already told you like gender latin america the climate crisis so yeah we started to discuss all of these problems that maybe aren't discussed way a lot here in Latin America. And well, we had in August an action day for Escazú. Mm, and it was great, it went really good, which helped us like grow a lot and have like a great, I don't know, public audience. We started to, I don't know, like try to uh, do other things. We do lives every Wednesday, highlighting women that work for climate. And we also try to do these posts, like informing people about these topics that maybe like they can find information, but are not like easily understandable. So that's what we do. We collect this information and we try to put it in our own words, but also like keeping the the academy over there, like the the data and everything. And yeah, we also worked on Girls' Day on October with Tremendas. 
which is an organization from Chile. And for this Women's Day, we had a webinar with Girl Lab Latam. Uh, well, we've also been working on expanding our team. We want to have a podcast. Uh, we're working on a web page, uh, which we are really excited for. And yeah, well, well, I think that we've been growing a lot and having lots of partnerships, which have been helping us to also give another perspective to what we do. Because sometimes, well, even if we are like a diverse team, In, in some way, like for our nationalities, we still have many realities to get to. So that's why, I don't know, like these partnerships and the possible grow like of our team will help us a lot. Oh, that's so exciting. And I, I think the, the collaboration and the networking is so important and to like keep listening and keep learning and keep having new perspectives being brought into the space is so, so valuable. And I think as well, when you were saying about almost like writing things again in your own words so that people have access to that information, I think especially when it comes to intersecting topics such as the climate crisis and gender inequality, it's so important that those in interconnected nature of it is recognized. But I think it's something that quite often maybe people don't have the words yet to talk about it. And I think that's why it's so important what, what you guys are doing. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, like, I've also learned a lot because I wasn't really aware of all of these intersections before. And when I started to investigate for posts or all of that, like I realized that it was really connected and that women, for example, are really affected by the climate crisis in many ways. Of course, men are as well <laughs> and non-binary people and everyone. But like this thing with women happens a lot in territories and how ecofeminism, for example, well, it relates women and land. So it's really interesting. And I think that it has helped me to learn and I hope that it has helped people as well. I'm so sure that it will have in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and I was also curious to ask with regards to family and friends, how their response are and whether they're supportive of the work that you do or like that dynamic. I'm really interested to hear about. Oh, my friends, actually, I'm really happy, like how my friends have reacted to this, like my friends from university. Uh, they're always like, I'm so proud of you and I really love what you're doing. I have friends that are always like reposting the things that I do or say I even had like a few days ago, I was doing a live and one of my friends joined. She wrote like, I love you. And she left because she couldn't like uh, keep watching because she had like lots of things to do. And like those things make me really happy because, well, maybe they don't know much about that but they are willing to learn and to watch what I do. I've had messages from friends from university, uh, once again, who told me like, well, I didn't know that this was going on. And it's very great that you share it and that you talk about it because, well, it's something that doesn't come out on, like, on my area. Uh, so it's really interesting. And about my family, well, my brother and my sister, I think that they will. They're like, oh, okay, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, no, in a way, they also support me a lot, which is which is really nice. And uh, well, there, then there is my mom. <laughs> I actually had a conversation with her yesterday about some pictures that I uploaded uh, that I took uh, from our manifestation on the Global Day of Action. And it was really, well, it was like funny and at the same time stressing because she was like, Uh, like I support you but why don't you like I don't know go and plant trees 
uh, instead of going to manifestations and take pictures, you're going to be exposed. The government already has everything on about you. Uh, Farc, well, Farc is the um, Forces Armadas Revolucionarias de Colombia. They are a guerrilla over here. It has been like an armed conflict of 50 years. It already ended. <laughs> well, it hasn't like totally, uh, but like she was like, okay, they said that they are going to protect the environment. So they're going to think that you are part of the guerrilla. And what if they, they, it happens something to you? And I'm like, okay, like, yeah, I understand. But at the same time, it's like, mm, I don't know, I'm still like living in the city and being really privileged on that way. And so it's kind of difficult because yeah, sometimes she's like, oh, great, you're, you're doing great, sweetie. Like that's the best, and some other times it comes. She comes with like this type of comments, and it's it's weird, actually. Do you think it's maybe rooted in some kind of like fear and like protectiveness? Because I mean, I was reading about it more recently in the, in Colombia is where there's the highest rates of death to activists standing up against environmental degradation. So, yeah, is do you think maybe it is something rooted in in that? Well, it's just that it's kind of weird, you know, because like here in Colombia or in Latin America in general, we have like a difference between activism and leaders. And well, like I am more of an activist rather than a leader. And I think that most leaders are the ones that are getting killed and in territories like, you know, the profound Colombia that sometimes we don't know. So I think that, yeah, like someone in Bogota, like me, like where I live, where I am based, uh, like the my neighborhood. Mm, well, I'm not like in much danger as someone even from Bogota, from another neighborhood, not so privileged would be. Or as someone from, I don't know, like El Cauca, for example, which is where, way farther from the capital, which is Bogota. So I understand how she's being protected because it sometimes... Uh, a while ago, like being an activist in, in the cities was also dangerous, but I think that it has, has right now, unfortunately, moved only to that Colombia that is really, really far away uh, from our reality. So, yeah, I understand her fear, but at the same time, it's like, okay, no, not, not really. Yeah, no, thank you for clarifying that as well, because I mean, Colombia and Latin America is such a huge vast area with so many differences within it and I think that's such an important thing that people are aware of I think rather than having like a a sort of one blanket awareness of a whole area so yeah yeah sure because yeah sometimes people think that Latin America like people in in other countries uh well not in America think that I don't know here we all live in the woods and and like, uh, there were no big cities with big uh, buildings. Actually, a teacher once told us that some Europeans uh, that went to a university for like an exchange were really surprised to see a campus because they were like, I can't believe that this is in Colombia. And it's like, yeah, look, we have cities and we also have the territories. Um, so it's really interesting. Well, it's kind of funny more than interesting. But I think that, like, we need to keep clarifying that the image that has been drawn of Latin America, well, since the colonies is really wrong because it doesn't, like, show the differences uh, that we live here in the continent. I always like to clarify that and not be rude because I understand that it's not something that we can be aware of. It's like here in Latin America, we'll, 
well, we tend to think that in Europe everyone is privileged, which is also not quite true, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that this is this culture differences or anything. Well, they need to be clarified. Mm-hmm. So I really like to do that um, because, well, yeah, uh, my reality compared to other people is completely different. I'm really privileged, and I really like to acknowledge that and say that because I think it's really important. Latin America is a continent uh, full of, I don't know, racism, um, social differences uh, that need to be abolished, uh, but unfortunately have been going for lots of years. I've also committed a mistake like before, and it's saying that just because Bogota is the capital, we are all privileged, but it's not true. Like Bogotá, it also has like its rural areas in which people are fighting for, I don't know, uh, the, the environment and are being threatened because of that. You know, Bogotá is also like such a big city. You can be like, I don't know, like a few blocks from here. Uh, it can be a like a not so privileged, uh, I don't know, neighborhood, for example. Like actually like five minutes from here, you know, so from where I am right now. Mm. So it's like also really opens your eyes to see how even in cities, in big cities, this uh, keeps happening. I think that, yeah, uh, we need to be aware that not just because you live somewhere and you have this reality is the same for everyone else. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I also want to pick up there on something that's really great is like openly admitting to mistakes like even just you saying that like you've made that mistake in the past and that's also something that I feel is a big thing that within society kind of (laughs) needs to shift a little bit is like being open to making mistakes and and then taking action on it to learn upon it um yeah I don't know if you have any thoughts on that yeah of course because I don't know like I've said many things like on the past that I really am like so ashamed of uh, like things that could even be mistaken for eco-fascism uh, which is really really terrible but like now I understand and now that I've learned now that I've read I, I can say like okay I was wrong and I can admittedly say that I was wrong fortunately like I didn't get to to do something wrong like an action that could actually affect someone with what I, what I said but I got the opportunity to reflect on that and change my mind and I started acting on that which I think is really important like we can make mistakes because we are humans but what we can do is not to like we cannot not acknowledge those mistakes it is important as we need to acknowledge our privilege like I've met some people that sometimes don't want to acknowledge that or they say like no no okay it has nothing to do with that and it's kind of damaging as well like you cannot I don't know like uh fight for the climate crisis against the climate crisis if you were not acknowledging your privilege that's so true and like not kind of downplaying it because you don't want to admit that it's there like it's it's so important to sit in that and reflect on it um because otherwise any action you're taking is kind of counterintuitive because it's not rooted in like that deeper knowledge of the bigger system that has caused the crisis so that was a really great point to make thank you yeah, like, it's just that it's so dangerous because if you try to act on something but you don't, like, try to look at yourself and see how you are collaborating for that, like, oppressing system, well, you're not doing quite a lot at the end. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and again, I guess it comes back as well when you were talking about 
the education that allowed you to learn these things. It's, it's why the work that you're doing and, and the work that organizations are, are trying to push to do now is making information accessible. And it's, yeah, such a crucial thing. So it's really great. Mm. Yeah, I, I find it really exciting because I always want people to, to learn about what's going on. And since I have been in that position that I don't know where to start, like seeing these posts, like really makes me like happy to know how things have evolved and like also being able to communicate the message. Uh, that's also really important for me, like something that I have achieved. So yes, I think that it's really wonderful to, to know like we have the ability to do that right now. Yeah. So along with all of this incredible work you're doing in your activism, you are also a full-time student. So I'd be really interested to hear about how you're kind of balancing all of this incredibly important work and also your studies and yeah that that balance I imagine can be a struggle at times. Mm, it's really really difficult. Last year well I started with Fridays Bogotá and Rear and Latinas like almost finishing uh, my semester so those things didn't get like uh crossed in some way but then like in August to December it was really crazy because it was me like joining meetings and being class at the same time sometimes and I really regret that because I love my classes and it was like mm, I have to do something but I don't know like virtual education is also kind of boring <laughs> and this year I've been able to I don't know handle it better Sometimes it's kind of difficult. I get like, I got like a breakdown a few weeks ago and I didn't do a thing for a whole week, like nor climate activism nor uh, university. But I think that I have been able to, to do that. Uh, sometimes it's really, I don't know, tiring, but well, I think that I have been able to like achieve uh, what I have. And at the same time, I don't know, keeping my grades or my, I don't know, my process with university, okay. And I'm about to finish university, like, a year from now, I think, that I'll be graduating, so it's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, that's incredibly exciting, and I think it's, it's amazing you've been able to, like, keep your grades up and also do all of this amazing work and also look after yourself. Taking the time to rest when you need to is so important. Yeah, I think that sometimes I, I don't rest a lot as I should, But I try to, I don't know, like balance all of that, like studying activism and, I don't know, time for myself and with my friends, family. After this Global Day for, uh, for Climate Action, for example, we are like taking a little break, a week to, I don't know, like just be ourselves, be people and then like start back with climate activism again. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Giving yourself time to be a, a person is so important, yeah. Yeah, because sometimes like meetings at 8 p.m. and we're just like, ah, I can't do this anymore. Like I've been in three-hour meetings, like planning things or talking about manifestations or posts or anything, and it's really tiring. Like it has good results, but we need time to rest and don't do a thing because, well, we don't get paid for this <laughs> and so like it's like yeah like I don't know I'm studying at the same time and doing all of this but where's the time for myself you know so like having this week off it's oh it's just so refreshing that would be wonderful 
yeah <laughs> awesome and another question that I just wanted to ask because I'm also kind of curious is any kind of resources or activists could be books videos anything that you feel really inspired you or influenced you you can have time to think if you like I know if someone asked me this I'd be like oh my gosh so many but my brain has now lost them so yeah feel free to take your time oh okay I think that's maybe like not necessarily books or movies well movies Okja I have Okja in my mind like, I really love that movie. I think that it's so inspiring and it's actually great because it shows you, like, I don't know, like, all the faces of veganism in some way. Mm, but also, like, people. I don't know, like, my friends from activism. Uh, I've met great people uh, that I admire and I look up to. Mm, and about books. Hmm. I had the opportunity to read a lot, but necessarily on climate crisis. But I think that they have helped me to build that um, consciousness. Uh, there's a book which is called, it's by an author called Dulce Maria Cardoso. She's from Portugal. And it's about this woman. I'm going to look up to it <laughs> because I think that it really helped me a lot. And it was really interesting to read it because I realized the differences we live in as a society. It's called in Spanish, but siempre demasiado lejos, like you always go so far. Translation, mm, I really like Portuguese authors, so I don't know. <laughs> As well, many Latin American authors that have made me like see how this has all like unequal. Uh, for example, I don't know, there is an author from Peru. His name is Bryce Echenique. I really like his, his books because, uh, well, his, his stories, because I think that they have helped me see all of these differences and that at the end, Latin America, unfortunately, like its inequalities are really um, similar. So, yeah, like I would say many literature, also one of my favorite authors, Anton Chekhov. Uh, I've learned a lot from Chekhov, which is uh really exciting and i think that Chekhov has actually taught me a lot about the climate crisis i don't know how but the way he reflects on nature and how humans uh like i don't know relate with nature has, has really helped me a lot mm, what else fernando pessoa he's also one of my favorite authors portuguese as well i love him uh he's best <laughs> also his poetry and everything it helps me to understand because at the end, literature is related with what we live here in this world. So reading that and relating to that, even if it was written a hundred years ago, it it's like really opens your mind because it's like, unfortunately, there haven't been like major changes in the world. Like there have things that have evolved. I, I, and I have to acknowledge that for women, for example, uh, but we have still like lots of things to do. Because, like, the reality is not so different from what they were living at that time. And it's really, I don't know, like, it's kind of sort of disappointing. But at the same time, it's really, like, I don't know, beautiful in some way. Mm -hmm. So I really like that. And, well, my friends, as I was telling you, like, been lately doing photography. And I looked up to a friend. Her name is Pamela. Uh, She's from Mexico, and I'm like, wow, I, I like I want to take photos just as you do. So, you know, like, I also have my friends to look up to. And being, I don't know, like, I want to do what you do, and that gets me inspired every day. 
Oh, and that's so beautiful. And thank you for sharing so many, so many authors and how it has helped shape your perspectives on things and make you like relate as well. Like I think what you were saying in that it's sad, but beautiful at the same time, the shifts that have happened. There's something beautiful in relating to a human experience, even if it happened that long ago, along with the frustration of if it feels like things haven't changed. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's something I've been reflecting on a lot at the moment is there have been positive changes that have happened in some areas, but reflecting on whether it's like those positive changes are happening still as part of a system, which is oppressing. And it's like, how deep can the dismantling of the system, like it needs to go a lot deeper, but how, how deep can we get it to go quickly is yeah. quite an interesting thing. I think that it's something of reflection. Like every day you need to think, okay, like we have achieved it, but what comes next? What can we do now? Like what needs to be changed now that what that we have achieved this? Mm, and I think that, yeah, like it's sort of frustrating because we're like, ah, like I thought that I had made it, but no, I, I still have lots of things to do. But I, and I think that that's also like important. We are working on lots of things, but we need to understand that there is more and more and more we can do, but not get like stressed because of that. Definitely. I think it was an, an article written by, I want to say Josephine Becker on like Shadow Mag. It's like an online magazine thing. And it was talking about the importance of like, rather than optimism and pessimism, like collective hope and like taking a responsibility in that hope and it was a really beautiful thing because that those two dichotomies, I really relate to that, like feeling super overwhelmed and stressed and frustrated and cynical and yeah, just really frustrated at the world for things not shifting. And like you can watch a documentary from maybe like 10 years ago and the message is the same as what needs to happen now. And that can be really frustrating or even longer than 10 years ago or hearing things like if we'd have changed things 30 years ago, we wouldn't be in this position. It gets very negative and then you have the opposite of like wanting to focus on the positives but not wanting to fall into that thing of like oh everything's going to be fine because there's so much work that needs to be done so this idea of collective hope I thought was a really beautiful thing yeah yeah it's really beautiful but that and yeah because it's not seeing things like as black or white but just like a rainbow I guess like of emotions and situations and everything that is going on because there are very really bad things but that doesn't mean that we can't do something about that and if we focus on something like on the good or the bad we are going to be ignoring everything that it's on uh, in between these two so I think it's really important to have like an open mind for what it's going on yeah 100% thank you um, yeah and then I just have the final question which I always ask on the podcast which is okay. how you find your little bit of lagum and lagum's a Swedish concept which it kind of translates to not too little not too much so it's very much about finding balance and I'd be really interested to hear how you find that um, in your everyday. I think that sometimes it's difficult because I don't know like I want to do a lot and then I realize I can't but I think that talking to people, like sharing experiences, that helps me like get rid of that burden that goes like with me. I think that I can do everything. So, so yeah, I think the sharing experiences, uh, speaking with my friends. I don't know, getting the time to not be mature, <laughs> you know, because sometimes like dating activists are just like mm, I don't know, like serious people that don't have fun and. Like, sometimes I think that I have to do that, that I cannot, like, 
uh, I don't know, make a joke or whatever. But I find those like moments of sharing are really important for not too little, not too much. Uh, I think that it's really, really nice. Oh, that's beautiful because it's like it allows you to express yourself more holistically because you give yourself the space to have that other interaction and and those other moments of joy that I think yeah is so important um yeah thank you for sharing that that's really beautiful thank you mm. well thank you so so much it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you yeah. I'm so happy uh, thank you for the invitation like I'm really excited I'm just so happy to speak with you I'm, I'm really happy mm. thank you so much you're more than welcome it's an it's just really been lovely to chat with you Thank you so much, Valentina. I'm really glad to have connected with you. You're such a wonderful person and I'm very inspired by what you're doing. If you'd like to find out more about what Valentina is doing and also check out the youth-led organisation she's a part of, you can find her on Instagram at ValentinaPradaFL or you can follow at Fridays for Future Bogota and also at Latinas for Climate, all on Instagram and I'll also attach all of this in the links below. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share them with family and friends as it really helps more people find the podcast and engage in these really important, insightful conversations. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review because it also really helps and I'd be so incredibly grateful. Also, feel free to get in touch with me either on Instagram at a little bit of largum or you can email me on a little bit of largum at gmail.com. It's always really lovely to hear from you, whether that's reflections on the episodes, any questions you have, guest recommendations, anything at all. Thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye.